Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, you amazing human being. Today's guest is Laura Santa Maria. She's the lead developer advocate over at Dell Technologies, but more importantly, she has been successful in building several local community groups in Austin, Texas, and she is here to share her knowledge of how she did that thing, right, Ethan? Oh man, Laura is indeed a wealth of knowledge on meetups, but she's got a lot of wisdom on how to run a meetup and mistakes that you might make and ways to evangelize and market your meetup and decisions you can make around sponsorship of your meetup, as in you don't even have to have them and here's how you do a sponsorless meetup and so on. She is great and a lot of fun to talk to, Ned. Absolutely. So if you're considering setting up your own local group, listen to what Laura has to say. Enjoy this episode with Laura Santa Maria, lead developer advocate at Dell Technologies. Laura Santa Maria, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. We're very excited to have you here. Why don't you tell the good folks out there a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Who are you? Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. My name is Laura Santa Maria, and I'm a lead developer advocate at Dell Technologies. I spend a lot of time in various DevOps communities, as well as Kubernetes communities and cloud native communities. My focus is a little bit of education, well, a lot of education. But I also do a lot of work for local tech communities, as well as local tech conferences. And I have a number of folks who ask me to help advise their conference because I've been doing it for a while now. That's kind of the short version about who I am and what I do. Uh, you could probably find me all over the internet, I'm sure. Very succinct. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but I think we're going we're gonna to go into a little more detail. That's all right. Let's go for it. Yeah, I, you and I actually met at KubeCon. It was sort of a community thing. You were running the podcast booth there, among other duties. Right. And I think I awkwardly asked you if I could use the podcast <laughs> booth. And you're like, who is this dude? <laughs> it was one of those cases where I'm like, I don't know how much my company is going to be okay with me letting someone else use these hundreds of dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> but it's still, it was a lot of fun. We ended up trying to see how many people we could fit in the podcast booth at one point. More than was absolutely comfortable since there wasn't a whole lot of ventilation, but... <laughs> <laughs> we had a good time. So you mentioned a whole bunch of different kinds of communities, both large communities at conferences and whatnot and local communities. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us like a few of the different groups that you've been involved with over the time you've been working in community? Oh boy, this is going to kind of go back, I guess. So right now, I am one of the co-organizers for Cloud Austin. We're one of the largest meetups in the Austin area, as well as I used to be one of the co-organizers of Austin DevOps which is another large meetup in the Austin area. I'm involved with the Pi Texas group here. They do both meetups as well as conferences. I'm mostly on the conference side for them, though. I used to be a teacher for Women Who Code Austin. I used to teach the beginner Python class there. Kubernetes Austin, they recently got restarted, and I've been trying to help them get going. I'm more an advisor. I keep mm. trying to tell myself that, and I keep trying to tell my boss that, that I'm just advising, and he tells me <laughs> that I'm lying, and then I'm going to end up taking it over. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, that's what it happens. Before that, though, I used to run the internal technical community at Rackspace back when I used to work there. I was the chair of the group, Global Tech Crew, as well as the chair of Austin Tech Crew. We were the ones who made sure meetups got to run. I've run uh, Docker Austin briefly. 
I didn't do very well there. I learned some things after that one. And before that, I actually used to work as a science educator in a science museum. And I'll tell you, if you want to have a community and you want to try to be able to entertain people, the hardest audience ever are eight-year-olds. Just so that you know, if you ever <laughs> have met an eight-year-old and tried to keep them focused, the best thing to do is make volcanoes blow up mm -hmm. mm. or, you know, anything exciting. Just had to make it very, very splashy. So I learned very quickly about how to build up communities with people who are very disengaged. Would you define community for us? Because a lot of what you just listed off there, I, I wrote them all down. I think I got most of them. They all seem fairly local. So by community, do you mean like a local in-person kind of thing? Or is it broader than that? To me, it ranges, right? It's a lot of different things. Local community are the people who you engage with in person locally. But you can have a larger community. The whole goal, though, is are you kind of working together to come to a common thing? One thing I like to talk about is the difference between a community and a community of practice. So communities of practice is really what we have in the technical world when we talk about meetups and things like that. A community, let's explore a neighborhood. So if we have a neighborhood, a neighborhood is a community and it could be a very strong one, but the reason that you're coming together is not to share knowledge mm. necessarily, though I guess you probably could be sharing gossip if you really want to. And that's a lot of knowledge right there. Really, though, you're coming together because you have something in common. You have a common goal. And so it's fairly local in that sense. Our technical communities, though, communities of practice are the idea that we have a group of people who have a set of knowledge or a domain of knowledge, and they're coming together to share that knowledge with one another, whether that's to learn or to teach. And that can be global or it can be local. It can be hyper-local. It can be just your local office or your, even your local floor if you happen to be back in person. Or it could be a meetup or it could be, in the case of Pi Texas, we're doing a virtual Discord meetup. And that's all of Texas is welcome, as well as anybody else, really. But generally, it's mostly Texans who are coming together to talk Python. So it's kind of a question about what's your goal for your group? Is it just because you happen to have something in common, but you don't necessarily need to share knowledge about it? Or is it about sharing knowledge, which is really where we all are? That's how I look at it. I will say there's a big difference between an in-person and a not in-person community. I completely agree with you. So you know, my world is the world of packet pushers. We have a lot of podcasts, we have blogs, we have Slack groups, mm -hmm. we have uh, LinkedIn discussions and so on. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of community that's virtual. It's an online style of community joined by the content that created by packet pushers that are of interest to the nerds out there. In person though, like I'm the organizer for New Hampshire NUG, the New Hampshire Networking User Group. And mm -hmm. the vibe you get in person when people walk into a common space and get to share with each other and look at each other in person across a table and hear a presentation or a panel group and be able to comment in real time about it and have a back and forth dialogue. Mm -hmm is such a different thing that I think is really important. And it is, from my experience, pretty much impossible to replicate in an online setting. I mean, personally, I have to agree with you. It's very, very difficult to imitate that casualness mm -hmm. that comes around with an in-person event where you start to engage with each other on casual basis. And also, you can comment to the person next to you without interrupting the larger conversation. Mm. I used to be remote. I'm still remote, technically. But I was a remote worker for about eight to 10 years. And so for me, and still going, I guess you could say, because here I am in my home office, I guess I'm still remote. For me, it always was a question of why are we having some people meet in an office and then some people meet over Zoom? 
and we have two different things going on where both are happening at the same time, this hybrid experience. And the problem is, is that there'd be side conversations going on and they'd be laughing about something in the conference room, but the people on Zoom can't hear. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't quite get the same experience. And the same thing happens with meetups. There's side conversations going on. There's networking going on that doesn't happen when you're virtual in comparison to when you're in person in this hybrid world. And it's really hard to set up a community to provide those networking experiences. It can be done. So back at Rackspace, when we did Racks.io, and we had to, for various reasons, not invite everyone to headquarters. Everybody had to be partially remote. And then there were some people who were in person. And we had to find a way to make this work. One of the things that I discovered is that you have to have a really good MC who is constantly heckling back and forth at the people online. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I would literally stand up there with my phone with Slack on. And people must have thought that I... I don't know what they thought about what I was doing, <laughs> but I'd be reading Slack, talking live on the video stream, talking to the people in the room, relaying back and forth. And the people in the room also were on Slack. So they all had their laptops up and they were participating in the conversation on Slack and talking to me. And I was talking to both and being heckled by everyone. And I was heckling back. It worked, but mostly because all of us were so used to a virtual experience. Mm -hmm. We were so used to everyone being on Slack. It was one communication channel. When you have something like Zoom and it's a hybrid experience, the people on Zoom are engaging in their own chat. The people in person are engaging in their own chat. And they don't cross mm -hmm. in the same way. And that's why I don't quite like a lot of the systems now where there's no real engagement between the two groups. It's an interesting experience to try to think about how do you allow people to network virtually? And some people do better on a virtual platform. There are people who just can't handle that in-person engagement. Other people, mm -hmm. they can't do virtual. They can only do in-person mm -hmm. because they don't really know how to read the sarcasm in someone's text. They weren't <laughs> perpetually online, right? Like I had some people go trying to understand memes was a wonderful experience to try to explain to someone. Because like people come into a channel and suddenly it's all memes and they go, how do I engage here? And so you had to try to explain to them like, okay, so there's this whole like, you know, global zeitgeist of here's all the memery that's going on and here's all this backstory. And how do I explain this to you? I don't want to send you to Urban Dictionary or Know Your Meme because that's not going to end well. No. <laughs> <laughs> it might not even start well. <laughs> it wouldn't start well either. <laughs> so I, I think it really depends and it can be done well, but it really requires that you have a lot more in common versus just a simple, this is the knowledge that we have. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of meetups or conferences have that. Yeah. I had a really interesting experience trying to explain memes to my kids, especially my son, because he did this whole like developing my own sense of humor thing a couple of years ago mm -hmm. in his class at school. And so they did study memes a little bit, but he had a lot of questions. And I was like, there is so much oh, no. context that you need to understand why a meme is funny that he just lacks because he hasn't watched all those movies or read all of those mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when you're trying to build a, a larger, more global community, there's not that shared context culturally mm -hmm. of all the people who are participating. So you have to be a little more cautious about how you're structuring your communication. Whereas when you're building a local community, you can rely on some local touchstones that are common to all the people uh, that are involved. If I'm thinking about starting a local community because I like the idea of in-person kind of stuff, yeah, 
Should I? Is that even a good idea? (laughs) My initial response is double check that there's not already a community near you that you should try to join first. Mm. It's not saying that an area can't handle more meetups. Frankly, like Austin could certainly handle more meetups, even though we have a thriving meetup scene. You know, if you have some niche like idea and you want to just, you have to talk about it. You have to bring a meetup together. Okay. That's fine. There's plenty of days in the calendar and time on the clock to be able to have your meetup without conflicting with anybody else. Because meetups don't really compete with one another. Other than saying maybe if we all try to schedule all of our meetups on the second week of the month, I think people are going to get a little tired. Maybe we should spread out just a little bit. (laughs) But it's not like a competition. You're not necessarily paying to go to a meetup. Now, you could, I suppose. But most of the time, user groups, meetups, whatever that is, there's no payment involved. You go and you share knowledge. The payment is your knowledge and your participation. So you certainly can start one. There are some things to consider if you're going to start your own meetup. First things first, are there other people who want to share that knowledge with you? And this might be going out and talking to different people. Maybe you go to a meetup that's adjacent and you feel people out. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Maybe it's a bunch of people from your work and you realize they're at least a seed to get started Mm. if you're a local workplace, mind you. I guess the thing to understand is that meetups need consistency. You can't say like, okay, we're going to meet in January and then I'll get to it in April and then maybe December. Right. No one's going to come to your meetup. <laughs> it's, that's no more than simply saying, okay, we're all going to meet here for beer on this date, and maybe we'll do it again at another time. Mm-hmm. So meetups need consistency, and trying to do it by yourself is always really hard if you're trying to, either you're trying to be consistent with speakers, if you try to get sponsorship, which is even harder, but also even if you're just saying like, okay, we're going to meet for coffee every month on the second Friday at 3 p.m., right? Even that takes some consistency because you have to put it out there on the calendar. You have to set up the meetup for people to RSVP to. You have to be there on time. You have to make sure that there's some topics for people to talk about because why would they come otherwise? Mm -hmm. You have to try to convince other people to come. And so there's a lot of extra little things that meetup organizers need that might not be obvious the first time that you try to take over a meetup or start running it. But I say go for it. Don't be afraid of it. Just understand that maybe you might want to ask all these questions first to make sure that you know what you're getting into. I think it'd probably be good to talk to, especially if you're going to attend an adjacent meetup and gauge Mm -hmm. people's level of interest. Maybe you're going to do a talk there about the topic that you think could be part Mm -hmm. of the larger meetup. But in addition to that, you can talk to the organizers of that meetup and be like, hey, got any pointers, some tips for me? Exactly. Also, if you're ending up asking them, like, how hard has it been for you to get speakers the last 12 months? Mm. Have you been bugging the community? You know, you as the organizer may have to coach some people about giving a talk or running a panel or whatever it is that you're doing with your meetup. You may have to coach people. Are you ready to do that? You probably are, whether you realize it or not. I always tell people when they're, you know, coming to the first time to give a talk at a conference or at a meetup, you know more than you think you're more capable at doing this than you think. And the wonderful thing about meetups is that I have not been to a meetup where everyone wants me to fail. It's true. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, to be honest, a lot of people are terrified of getting up on stage to give a talk Mm -hmm. or like, you know, even if the stage is literally just standing up in front of people, 
they're terrified because they're worried somebody's going to poke holes in what they know, or they're going to point out all of the gaps in their knowledge or the gaps in what they're saying and all this stuff. People don't do that. Well, okay. The most pedantic of us do, (laughs) (laughs) but most people don't do that. And a meetup organizer typically helps kind of meter that a little Mm. bit. We spend a little bit of time kind of poking at the audience going like, be nice asking questions, (laughs) be kind, (laughs) or, you know, redirecting the conversation if we think that someone went way too down in the weeds for a speaker. But usually that's not the case. And so a lot of times here in Austin, if I have a new speaker who wants to come give a talk at one of my meetups or even at one of the conferences I help organize, like DevOps Days Austin or any of those, I often try to tell them, listen, your local community wants you to succeed. Come share your knowledge. If you're wrong, you're wrong. It's okay. So that's the kind of coaching that people need. You just said a big thing there. So I'm in the world and so is Ned and several other people involved with Packet Pushers. We are very public with our knowledge. We say too Mm -hmm. many words to not be wrong from time to time. It's just the way it is. So And and we've had to learn, man, I'm going to be wrong. Someone in the audience is going to pop up and say, hey, on this show, you said this idiot you're wrong mm-hmm. and it, but but the way you deal with it or for me anyway has just been you turn it around into a positive hey so-and-so from the community just shared this thing that i was wrong about sorry about that this person's got you know better information and here's a url you can go and read more if you heard that mm-hmm. too and want to learn more about it awesome thank you for sharing you just you, you make that yep. person your ally as opposed to yeah. They're trying to make me look stupid. They're not trying to make you look stupid. It's just all of us in this world are kind of have those pedantic personalities or tend that way. Exactly. Uh, you said the wrong thing about that header field in the packet, idiot. And, you know, yeah, okay, <laughs> everyone stand down. Okay. We haven't all read the latest RFC <laughs> and, uh, you know, be, be calm, be calm. Uh, Laura, I wanted to go back yeah. to another point you made earlier. You said sure. meetups need consistency. And you started talking about, oh, may- maybe a weekly or a monthly cadence or something. What cadence is a minimum to have an appropriate meetup, uh, to have that consistency? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd say quarterly. Okay. Quarterly is okay. I feel better now. <laughs> uh, yeah, quarterly is okay. As long as people know to expect it. If they don't know to expect it and you post it up the week before, oh, hey, here's our second quarter meetup. People are going to go, wait, what? Yeah. What am I doing? You want the meetup to be scheduled. So meetup.com allows you to do the schedule a consistent meetup all the way out till like a year or two in advance. And it just says you can put in details to be decided or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Some of the other platforms, I think Eventbrite might do that. I don't know. I don't really like Eventbrite. I'll be honest. Shh, don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> um, there's a new one called Luma. I haven't actually tried that, like advanced publishing. But in general, as long as people know that it's coming, like, okay, Kubernetes Austin used to be, I think it was the first Thursday of the quarter start. And it was annual quarters, not some weird corporate quarter. So it was January, skip a month, skip a month, April, skip a month, skip a month. You know, it was consistent. And we at least knew that. Whether you knew who the speakers were or anything, that was a different story. But the consistency was there. If you do biannual, is this a conference? Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Have you gotten to that point? Maybe. I don't know. To me, like, it could just be a question of the local community as well. Some communities need that longer lead time. Some need shorter lead times. In Austin, if you don't show up every month, it kind of gets a little wonky because things move faster. 
especially now compared to then and what it used to be. But if you go out, I don't know, pick a random city that is a little more laid back, maybe that quarterly is fine because it's not like you're going to just fall out of that local mind, like hive mind. So a challenge for me in my specific situation, monthly would be hard. You got to find event space and you got, and in my case, you got to find sponsors. So to find a sponsors mm-hmm. that are going to be willing to fork over X dollars to fund the thing every month, it would be, is too big of an ask quarterly. It's doable, but still a thing to, uh, to get the sponsors yeah. lined up for the event. Sponsors are a whole nother can of worms when it comes to meetups. And I'm sure you already know this. I find that especially now it's gotten harder and harder to find sponsors for meetups. Full stop. There's been some exploration. PyTexas is exploring this. I've actually talked about having a community chest and just saying, hey, sponsor, you can sponsor the local Austin meetup scene for an entire year. And we will accept that. And we just put it into the chest and then a meetup can come and request hey, I need 50 bucks for drinks today for my meetup. Mm. It's an interesting idea because sponsors are generally a little more willing if they get in front of people longer than Mm -hmm. just a meetup, like across the entire year. Or if they're at a conference, you know, they get a table, they get to talk to people, et cetera. I think it's an interesting question how you can change the meetup sponsorship world. However, I'm going to say there was some advice I got when I first started hosting meetups and didn't fail that still kind of stick with me. And it's the statement that people come for the knowledge, not for the food. Mm. People can complain all they want that, oh, you don't have any food right now. You don't have like drinks or anything, whatever the sponsor was providing. But people don't come for that. They come to talk to each other. They come to learn from one another and learn from whoever you got in as a speaker. So you're really optimizing for your attendees. You're not optimizing for a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And so if there's no food, just tell people there's no food, bring your own. And people generally are willing to do that. So I've learned that sometimes we have to let go of the idea of sponsorship for meetups. And I have to admit, it's been hard for me to let go of the idea that I have to have food at a meetup. Mm. It's not just the food, Lori. It's the beer. Well, it's the beer too. (laughs) But I mean, we're discovering that if people want to open a tab, like we hold it at a bar every other month. If people want to get beer, they go get it. Yeah, yeah. They don't grump to me about it that it's not there. In that situation, the meetup is facilitating the getting together part, but not funding food and alcohol and whatever, renting the Mm -hmm. space and all of that. You could probably find a cheap space at some employer in the area that has a big conference room or something might be perfectly adequate. I'm going to give a little plug for a company called Improving. Uh, They messaged me earlier this year when I, I put out a call on LinkedIn and said, hey, Meetups in Austin are looking to come back, but they don't have meetup spaces. Can you all tell me what offices are still willing to host meetups? Send me a note, use this form. And I made a Google form, like, tell me what you can do. And I got a ping from someone who I've presented at the same conferences with before. And he said to me, hey, did you know that improving, uh, that's part of our KPIs for each office? We'll host any meetup. Mm. Come find us any of our offices. They're smaller buildings. Like they're they're smaller rooms. They're not going to hold like 200 people. But for most meetups it's perfect and it's enough. And so like I'd look for those kinds of companies. I'd look for those kinds of spaces, especially if you just put a call out. Rackspace for ages was the meetup spot in Austin because they offered it. That's what Austin Tech Crew did. 
we were the contact for any meetup in the area that was looking to host a meetup. I think at our peak, we had 11 meetups every month hosted in the Rackspace space here in Austin. It was a great experience. And I got to meet so many people across the community, the overall Austin community, as well as just meeting people who later I made connections with for other things, whether it was job or something else. When Rackspace closed, but it was in the middle of a pandemic, they closed their Austin office. So they went through, we went through a bunch of virtual meetups. And then when we wanted to come back, the local community kind of started exploring and the company we're at right now, Q2, they reached out to us and said, hey, we loved going to Cloud Austin. We have a space for you. Mm. Do you want to come host here? Mm-hmm. And we went, yes, mm-hmm. yes, we do. <laughs> we'll come find you. I'd say that you kind of need to dig around. I guarantee you, though, in most cities, there is a space that is not costing any money yeah. to go host your meetup yeah. in. My, you just have to find it. My experience is if you have any consulting groups or like value-added resellers, in the area, a lot of Bingo. them will be willing to host a meetup because it's a little bit of promotion for them. You know, you have to be clear. Mm-hmm. This is not a chance for you to put your your salesperson in front of this meetup and, and give a long spiel about how awesome your company is. But just by being in the space, people will be aware of your company. And a lot of them are fine with that. Yeah. So we actually have a couple of policies that help with that. First things first, we give a sponsor a call out verbally, the MC, every meetup. We give them two minutes and we time it. Mm. You're not allowed longer than that. So for us, it's a two minute pitch. And we tell them, understand that if you give a pitch that is super product heavy, (laughs) or you give a pitch that sounds too good to be true, no one's listening. They turn you off. Like they're not paying attention. Come up and say, hi, I'm from X company. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm from Y company. And we're really excited to be here. If you have any questions about our products, let us know. But this we're an AI data SecOps gobbledygook company. Mm-hmm. You want to learn more? We'd love to talk to you. I'll be in the back. I am so excited about this talk today. Shut off. Yep. That's it. I tell people that's actually the best pitch because frankly, if somebody's looking for that and they hear you show up at my meetup, they're going to come find you. They're going to go look up your website. You don't need me to do that. You don't need to come up here and tell everybody about it because, frankly, the people who show up to these are so engaged that you giving them a pitch, they're going to turn you off. They're more interested in getting past your marketing website to go read your docs. (laughs) Yes. They don't care about Flash. They don't care about the splash. All they care about is that and maybe the swag that you brought. You better bring good swag. Like, that's just the thing. If you're bringing swag, don't skimp. (laughs) So (laughs) that's probably my one big line. Don't bring swag unless you intend not to skimp. Don't give me branded pencils. <laughs> mm. Just don't. <laughs> Fair. You have this rule regarding your sponsors. You got two minutes, make your pitch, mm-hmm. and you got some you know, advice on how to craft that pitch. What about a larger code of conduct for people who are attending the meetup? We do have a code of conduct. Uh, it is posted... I think it's posted on the meetup. I hope it still is. I just realized I probably should check that. We put that together. There is something called the Conference Code of Conduct, which was put out open source a long time ago now. A lot of local community conferences will use it as like it started from this and now it's morphed into ours or morphed into this or morphed into that. We use a version of that that we tweaked as part of like a group discussion among all the organizers. I think it's really important to have it. I, in my eight plus years doing tech community organizing, 
I've had to use it once, but it draws the boundaries of what's acceptable and what isn't. And most people are happy with that. The couple people who want to make trouble, they disappear really fast. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you want to disappear because you don't like something that we wrote in our code of conduct, have fun. I don't need you. Right. That's how I look at it. But yes, we do have a code of conduct. And I think that's super important. We had one, uh, one local meetup basically was be excellent to one another. Yeah. That was their code of conduct. And party on, dude. <laughs> Might need to bleep me out. Don't be assholes. Be excellent to one another. That's what it yeah. was. It worked just fine because we're all adults. And generally that worked. But I like having a longer one because I like having escalation information. Mm. If you don't know how to escalate to someone, the don't be an asshole, be excellent to one another. There was only one meetup organizer. So anything, you just go right to him. Right. When you have multiple people, it's nicer to have an email address people can reach out to or something. There's a there's a platform out there called uh, Call of Conduct. Yeah, Call of Conduct that someone I know has built. I think it's still running. Uh, you can contract with that. And that gives people an anonymous app to make a code of conduct uh, note. But it kind of depends on what you're looking for. If you want simple, simple's the way to start if you're just getting started with a code of conduct. I mean, it feels like a meetup code of conduct would be pretty simple. You'd want to make it a point, hey, we're paying attention. And so most of these codes of conduct and rules broadly in society are made for the small percentage of people who can't live well with other humans. And so you got to put rules in place so they know the boundaries. Yeah, you know, those so people. I, yeah, those people. So in in a, in a meetup scenario, I'm thinking about males who are attending who might harass a female attendee. Those kind of things doesn't mm -hmm. come up often, but you hear the stories, and so it kind of feels like, do we have to put a code of conduct in? I've had it happen to me, and so it's one of those things that I like knowing. If I don't have the energy to deal with it myself, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, you have to understand, I'm a public persona. Of course, I'm going to get all kinds of interesting things happening. Mm -hmm. And so I'm used to knowing how to deal with it, but there are some times when I just don't have the spoons to handle that situation. I love knowing there's somewhere I can go and say, listen, tonight is just not my night. Can you deal with this for me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And usually it's, to be honest with you, the, the only time I've actually had it happen to me that was like enough that I didn't feel comfortable. It was just somebody going like, Hey, Laura's not on the market. She's not really interested. And that's not really what you do here at the meetup. That was it. Right. The guy apologized and he's been a fine community member. He just apologized and it, let it go. It, well, it didn't have to get ugly where it's like, you've been obnoxious tonight. Please don't come back. It wasn't that. No, no. To be honest with you, I've had an experience with someone locally that can be a little much and they can get that obnoxiousness, but they don't even realize they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so you just say to them like, hey, your questions are kind of getting to be a little too much tonight. And they basically go, oh, sorry, I did it again. I'm going to stop. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like, and you don't even have to, don't embarrass them in front of everybody. Don't do anything like that. It's just a quick note. Like, hey, you're doing it again. Oh, sorry. And they stop doing it. That's <laughs> fine. And that's it. As a meetup organizer, I remember this was like an intimidating thing to think, oh, no, I have to handle all of these now. Mm -hmm. As a conference organizer, I had that, too. And it's just a realization that, you know what? It's OK. This isn't as scary as it seems. Most people, when they get called out on something like that, it's like, oh, OK, sorry. And then if it's something related to 
a woman feeling uncomfortable, they often come to me and then I might have to go to one of my co-hosts and go like, hey, you're about a foot taller than me and much bigger. Can you go have this conversation? (laughs) And it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. And normally they're fine with it. I haven't really ever had somebody really double down. So you mentioned that you didn't have enough spoons left. And yes. you'd mentioned that when we met at the conference. And right. I remember that. I was like, spoons, what is she? Uh, wh- what's the spoons <laughs> thing? So for, for listeners, if you could just like ex- briefly explain what the spoons thing is, because I loved it when you explained it to me. So it's called spoon theory. And it's a mental model for understanding how much mental energy or emotional psychological energy you have left to deal with something. And it says that, okay, you start each day with a certain number of spoons. And maybe you have a lot of spoons because you slept really well last night. You had a really great day yesterday. And you're just, you got a lot of ability to handle something. Maybe you only have a couple spoons because you're sick, because you have other issues going on. You have family drama going on. I don't know. There's so many reasons why you might not have very many spoons for the day. But every time you go through and handle a situation, deal with a problem, uh, maybe you're working on some like really high emotional energy situation, like production goes down and you're being blamed for it, maybe, and I'm picking that for reasons, um, (laughs) you give away a spoon or two to that situation. Anytime somebody comes and asks you for something, you're giving them a spoon. Eventually. You don't have enough spoons to handle the rest of the day. And so you have to start thinking about how do I ration out my spoons to the things that I need to get done? So this is the short version of spoon theory. So whenever you hear somebody say, I don't have enough spoons for that today, it's basically saying, I don't have the mental space to address this properly with you. And I don't want you to be offended. It's not anything you did. It's just that I I can't do that today. I just don't have the spoons. Right. It's it's, it's a shorthand yeah. to communicate that you're you're low exactly. in energy and it's not you. It's not that I don't care about this thing. It's just that I yeah. cannot right now. <laughs> right. That that's my version of it. I I just can't right now. I put I set <laughs> yeah. a reminder. I'm not going to forget about it, but today is not the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe you hold on to a bunch of spoons cuz you know something else is coming later in the week. So maybe you're trying to gather spoons. Mm. And so that might be a case of like, I'm going to pick like a situation where I know I've got a big conference talk coming up. Not right now, but I'm just saying like, let's say theoretically, I know I've got a big conference talk coming up on Thursday. And for some reason, I had a really bad weekend. I might take a personal day on Monday and Tuesday because I might realize I need to hoard my spoons and I need to start gathering as many as I can because this big conference talk is going to just take up my brain. And then I'm going to give away so many spoons, answering questions, being personable afterwards, you know, giving the talk. That's okay. Sometimes we need to hoard our spoons. You know, I've got spoons downstairs, physical <laughs> spoons. I don't hoard spoons normally, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> A couple of things you mentioned earlier about uh, basically mm-hmm. marketing the meetup. Um, you said, and I think I'm yeah. quoting you, you have to convince other people to come. So two yes. things. How, what are the the channels that you would recommend I use to let the community know about the event? And then what's the pitch? What is it I'm saying to convince people to come? We live in what I've lovingly been calling a post-Twitter world. Mm. Yes. 
And it's this experience that up until recently, so many people found their communities, especially their local communities, through Twitter. They went and engaged on Twitter. They found people to talk to. And so when a meetup got announced, you would announce it and it would spread to everybody who was interested. Everybody in these various communities, because you could share, you could talk about it. And quote unquote, everyone, and I'm putting that in big quotes, everyone was on Twitter. Yeah. At least locally, like you would be able to put it out to enough people on Twitter who would then spread it out through other channels that you would probably get a decent showing for your first meetup or your second or your third or your fourth. Now, things are different. People really aren't using Twitter. We fractured all of these communication channels. And so I've been explaining to people that you need to think beyond this world of just you put it out into the ether and magically everyone shows up. (laughs) You have to go do the legwork. So email lists, whether you like it or not, email lists are coming back and people are joining email lists. They're joining newsletters. They're trying to keep up with things because they know email will be around no matter what the platform changes. Maybe they have to change their email address, but they at least can subscribe to something and be on an email list to be able to be notified of when something happens. You also might be... uh, beating feet to your local companies and saying, hey, I've got a meetup starting. I think some of your engineers might be interested. Would you post this to your internal newsletter? Would you Hmm. just let people know? Or you might find a local who's in that group who might say, oh yeah, we've got an internal Slack channel, an internal Teams, whatever that thing is called, and I'll post it for you. Those kinds of engagements and convincing and reaching people there is how we do it. And I say there's a story here because I was explaining this to someone who was trying to figure out how do I get people to show up to this thing? And I told them about, you know, you you can't rely on Twitter anymore. And they said to me, so what did you do before Twitter? And I suddenly felt very old. Because even though I wasn't in tech back then, I still was building communities. And we did it the quote-unquote old-fashioned way of email lists and reaching out to people and posting flyers and all of those things to build up a community. Now it's the, you go to the local meetups, you ask around, you find people who are like-minded, you have to then ask them, say, hey, I'm going to start a meetup. Would you like to come? Here's the meetup link or whatever I'm using to sign everybody up. Uh, Can you pass this on to three of your friends, referral ideas, anything along that line works. And the pitch to get people to come is either maybe you start out with a really amazing speaker. If you know someone, that's how that's always helpful. Or you say, hey, I'm starting this thing. We all get a chance to talk about it. I want your ideas. We're going to start out with a brainstorming session about what we want this to turn into, because this is your community too. And asking them for input that they only can give if they show up in person, a lot of people will show up because they're excited to actually have some input. Now, some people are lazier than others and they just want to kind of show up and be talked to. We can do those people too. But I think the most engaged people are the ones who are going to come to those first couple of meetups and they're going to be the core of your community. And they'll bring other people in. They're the ones who will go to their local employer They're the ones who will go to another meetup and tell somebody else about it. I don't know the stats, but I bet dollars to donuts that most people who go to at least one meetup go to more than one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. my bet. 
if there is one in the area. I, th- I think that's probably something like the 80-20 rule, right? Where yeah, 20% of your meetup attendees are going to be the ones who go to 80% of the meetups. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. I mean, I think Cloud Austin has 4,000 people in the meetup, I think. We used to get like 60 to 70 people consistently. Wow. Nowadays, it's, it's down to about 20 to 40, depending. We're building back up, but like everybody else, it's taking us some time as people get used to coming back. Yeah, it, it, you made me laugh around the, I feel old now, because what did people do before Twitter? <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I was in a lot of bands and friends with bands back when, when in my mm-hmm. 20s, and this was pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter. Mm-hmm. So the way that you had yep. to set up shows and network and all that was all very local and then just knowing someone and literally sending emails or calling mm-hmm. them. and. Once Facebook and well, it's really MySpace first and then Facebook came around. It was like, oh, it's so much easier mm-hmm. to like book a tour now. And yeah, I don't know if that's changed since the fracturing. <laughs> it's a totally different scene. <laughs> but um, yeah, it really it's been very disruptive in terms of how I find out what's going on in the community, because now there's 20 places to look instead of like one or two. That's been rough. Yeah. Part of my job is trying to help the Austin tech scene and so I've actually been working on that. I started a, uh, so there's this newer platform called Luma. I have no idea. Is it trying to compete with meetup? I have no clue, but they have a free calendar system where I can add all of the meetups from my local community and people can subscribe to my calendar. And so I started making that mm. and I've been trying to push that out as like, listen, we're all having trouble figuring this out. How do you spell Luma? Because uh, I, I got a 404 and then I got bespoke carpets and rugs. So I'm not doing right. <laughs> so it's lu.ma okay. slash Austin dash tech scene, tech dash scene. And, and I think I did link it in the uh, proto show notes down at the bottom. Awesome. Yeah. But it's been, it's been interesting. I've had a lot of really good feedback about this and a lot of people asking, can I add my meetup to that? Mm. And it's like, yeah, I'm doing this by hand. You can hit the little suggest event thing. And that makes my life so much easier. But go for it. Add your own meetup. And so I've been adding conferences. I've been adding meetups. And people are saying, this is helping me discover the rest of the tech scene. And it's like, I'm not really doing much other than a search. But I know where to look. That's the difference. I've been in this meetup scene long enough and know enough of the organizers that I know where to go find everything. And when somebody comes to me with something new, it's like, oh, cool. I don't know about that one. I will add that to my list. So this kind of reaches that 20% of the people go to 80% of the meetups. But it also is a way to market it to everybody. You need something that people can grab onto, whether it's an email list, a meetup.com page, or something like this when everything's fractured across 20 different platforms. Here's where you can find it. Add it here. We'll start there and then see how we do. I think that is an excellent note to go out on. Uh, If folks are interested in finding (laughs) you in this fractured landscape, where can they find more from you, Laura? I do the link tree thing because (laughs) I don't want to build my own website. (laughs) Yet another version of it. So it's just uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Nimbinatus. I think we should just link this in the show yeah. notes um, <laughs> versus me trying to spell that. That's my link tree. That's where you find everything I do. You'll find all of my talks there, where I'm going to be next, my blog that I don't keep updated. Shh. 
Um, <laughs> anything else that I've got going on there. Uh, but you're welcome to reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you need help with something. Uh, I'm around. Or you find me in Austin. Come find me in my local tech scene. Awesome. Well, Laura Santa Maria, thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. Yeah, my pleasure. And hey, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. Virtual high fives to you. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. Hit either of us up on LinkedIn. Or you can go to the website packetpushers.net and there is a suggestion box there as well. If you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.